Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. it's pretty clear that the phrase the reason for the season is one of those things that we hear over and over again this time of year to help us not to get lost in what Christmas has become. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about in that it's hard to keep the main thing the main thing when you're buying presents for everyone and their dog, you're getting ready for your family to show up and all that entails or traveling all over the country. So it's into the midst of all of that chaos and stress and overwhelmness where this simple little phrase tries to remind us of what Christmas is really all about. And even more than that, how the real reason for the season is actually way better than what Christmas has become. But before you guys get too comfortable thinking you know exactly where this sermon series is going and you got it all figured out already, I now want to shock you a bit. What I want to do today is get into how the reason for the season is probably not what you thought it was, at least completely. Because as you all know, the main reason this phrase gets used is to try to remind us that Jesus, not presents, not decorations or family gatherings, is the real reason for the season or why it is we should take some time to remember and celebrate this holy event. And in one sense, that is completely and totally true because Jesus is part of the reason for the season or no Jesus, no Christmas, right? That makes basic sense. But while keeping that in mind, what happens when you take some time to dig into the Christmas event in even deeper, more theological ways, what you will discover is that it's actually about more than just Jesus. It's even bigger and more beautiful than you first thought. And I know that sounds weird at first. I I get how you're feeling at this very moment, but I want you guys to stay with me so I can show you what I'm talking about by walking you through God's story as it leads up to the Christmas event and what this bigger story has to teach us about the meaning and power of Christmas. So, you guys think you're ready for this this morning? If, I hope you are, because if you get this, if you really do get it, and I'm not just talking about you know it, I'm talking about if you get it, right, deep down in your heart, this is something that changes your life forever. It'll change the way you see Christmas in even more magnificent ways. So, Way, way back in the beginning, as God was going about creating the world, not only did God create the heavens and the earth and a whole lot of creatures to fill his creation, but God also went about creating these special beings called humans. And and to me, it seems the reason why God went about creating these special little creatures is because not only was he looking to put them in charge of his good creation, which is what dominion is all about, but it was also the case that God was looking for love. Or God was looking for these beings that he could live in relationship with. Which means the picture that we're given in the beginning is after God created the heavens and the earth, we find God living in this kind of relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden where everything is as it's supposed to be. Which is not only the way God designed it to be, but it's the way that God wanted it to stay. And yet, as you all know, pretty quickly after the beginning, these humans, instead of choosing to remain in relationship with God, chose to walk away from God by eating of the forbidden fruit. The result being that the relationship between God and humans was 
broken and the world was thrown into chaos, which is what we call the fall. But the, the amazing part of this story that we don't actually think about very often is when these humans walked away or when these humans rejected God by choosing to love something other than God, what our God did instead of just walking away because of that rejection is he didn't, come, he didn't give up. But instead, he came up with this long-term kind of strategic plan to win us back. The metaphor that I use to kind of help me make sense of how this story unfolds is to imagine a man who does everything in his power to win over the love of his life, but then ends up, after all he does for this woman, getting rejected, getting his heart broken. Now, what you would think is the man would walk away, right? That's the logical thing to do. But this man, instead of choosing to walk away, decides because of how madly in love he is with this woman not to give up on her, but instead to come up with a plan to win her back, which is a plan he's never going to give up on. Well, in a sense, that's kind of like God's response to being rejected by humans. He doesn't give up on us, but he comes up with a plan to get us back. And in a nutshell, and very, very simply put, because it's way more complicated than this, what that plan looks like is out of all the people on the earth, God simply chooses one man, Abraham, and his family to start a relationship with. And the way I understand God's plan to work, which I get from the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright and the Old Testament scholar John Walton, is that basically through the family of Abraham, which eventually becomes the nation of Israel, you guys know the story, God is going to use these people to live in relationship with and in turn, show himself to the world. Or Israel is going to be the kind of the, the people that reflect God's light into the world so everybody can begin to see. And the way it's put in the Old Testament is they're going to be a kingdom of priests. Or maybe to get at what God's doing here in a bit more modern way so you can kind of wrap your brain around it, think about a grassroots movement. And that a grassroots movement is not something that starts out big because everybody already knows about it, but they're movements that start out with just a few people committed to a cause. And then the way these movements spread is by people going out and not only telling others, right, but inviting others to get involved. Because what eventually happens in a successful grassroots campaign is that this thing that once started out as very, very small, little by little, person by person, begins to grow over a period of time until everyone becomes aware of their cause. Well, that seems to be how God went about trying to win humans back and that through this slow and steady process, God is going to use his people to show himself to the world. They, in a sense, are the light of the world at that time, which sounds like a great plan, right? Slowly but surely, we're going to take this thing over. It doesn't involve free or doesn't uh, interrupt free will or anything like that, which is a big part of this story as well. Well, for, for those of you who are familiar with how God's plan plays itself out in the Old Testament, you know that even though progress was being made through th this group of people at different times in their history, they were also really, really good at walking away. Or, or for a time, these people were as committed as they come, living in relationship with God, doing everything that they needed to do, right? While at other times, they chose to worship, serve, and love something other than God which is a plan that played itself out for more than 1,500 years, is the Israelites would commit and then walk away, and they commit only to walk away again. Or to go back to the metaphor of the rejected man, it's like for long stretches of time, he was successful in his plan of winning his love back, right? Because she did come back. And when she came back, it was absolutely phenomenal. Things were great. But then, of course, what happened over and over again, for one reason or another, is she would choose to walk away to chase after something different. 
Or maybe to get a biblical picture of this relationship, all you have to do is turn to the first three chapters of the book of Hosea. How many of you guys have ever read this fun little story in the first three chapters? Well, what, what happens, for those of you who don't know, is God orders the prophet Hosea to marry the prostitute Gomer. And the reason God does such a crazy thing that just seems out of bounds is to give us a picture of his relationship with Israel. In that, in the same way Hosea continues to get his heart broken because his wife, Gomer, persistently cheats on him, she is a sex worker, that is God's experience in, in relationship with the people of Israel. That's what's been going on for 1,500 years. So what God does, in my opinion, after 1,500 years of trying to use Israel to show himself to the order to complete his mission of living in relationship with everyone who has ever lived, God finally decides it's time to do something different, something new. Or God, after doing everything in his power, using miracles and the giving of the law and sending the prophets and kings to help the Israelites get things figured out so they can do what they were called to do, God finally decides that the only way he is going to accomplish his goal is if he rolls up his sleeves and does it himself. Or like we've all had to do before when we've asked our children to do something and then have to step in and make sure that it gets done right. Any of you guys know what I'm talking about on that deal? I, I need an amen on that one. Come on now. <laughs> that seems to be what God is doing through the Christmas event. And for me, what, that, what all of that puts into perspective is that when we read the birth stories in Matthew and Luke, especially with an eye on the bigger picture, that what's going on here, what this story is all about in the big picture, is the story of God doing what God has to do to chase after us. To, to come and get us, to, to show us that his love is here. Or to really see what God is doing here, we turn to the gospel of John. Because John, more so than Matthew and Luke, it explains what it is that God is doing in more esoteric, theological kind of ways when he says this. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, what I want you to see here is John gives us a description of the word of the Logos in Greek as a part of God that is responsible for the creation of all things and in the light and life of all humanity is how this being, this part of God who is with God and was God at the same time actually stepped down out of his existence to chase after us. Or as John explains in 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So what John is proclaiming to us here is that in the person of Jesus, God, the one who created all of this in some mysterious way, we'll never understand, has showed up into the world as one of us. Then to take you even deeper, the word that gets translated here as dwelling in English, is better translated as tabernacle or to literally set up a tent. And why that matters is because in the Old Testament, before the temple, God lived among his people in this portable tent called the tabernacle. So what John is saying here that is so revolutionary that it changes everything is no longer is God living in a tent or even a building. No, now God has tabernacled among us as a human being. Or, or to, to get literal, the material that God has used now to live among us is not tent, it's not brick and mortar, it's flesh and blood. 
which is something that, that if you give it any thought at all, it's absolutely mind-blowing. It's something that seems way too good to be true. Or the truth is, we have all grown up with this story our entire lives. When we think about Christmas, it's not that big a deal. But when you actually take a moment to think about the miracle, what is being proclaimed here by the Gospel of John? The creator of the universe. Do you guys know how big the universe is? Nobody does. That's how big it is. The one who is in charge of all of that, the one who sustains everything, somehow became a human being. I mean, it's absolutely breathtaking. And something that if you get, it really will change you. But, but, what takes this story to the next level, in my humble opinion, is when you begin to see that the reason God did all of that, or the reason why God stepped out of his heavenly existence with where everything is as it's supposed to be, to, to enter into our fallen and broken world, yeah, the reason why God did all of that, it's us. It's us, right? We are the reason that God came into the world, or God in an attempt to, to win every human being back that, that has ever walked away from him, because what he wants most is to live into a deep and abiding relationship with every single person who has ever lived. He took the drastic step by taking matters into his own hands, and he came chasing after us. And in turn, what all of that begins to help us to see about the real reason for the season, which takes Christmas to an even bigger level, is that yes, there's no doubt that Jesus is one of the reasons for the season because without him, there is no Christmas. But as I've just shown you, what it also makes clear is that the main reason why God has rolled up his sleeves and showed up was to chase us down and win us back. Or in keeping with that logic, if the reason Jesus came into the world to chase after us, then that means the real reason for the season, when you push deeper, when you go as deep as you can, is what? What is the real reason for the season? We are the reason for the season. And please don't hear me say that in a, you know, like the world revolves around you and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I mean by that. What I mean by that is that is how important you are to God. That event, that Christmas event, is about you. Oh, come on, people. Are you kidding me? If you get it, not just here, but here, it changes absolutely everything. So, what I hope for all of you during this Christmas season, now that you can see that we are the reason for the season, is that not only will you go out and have an absolutely incredible Christmas with your family, where you give and receive, you have a feast and all of that kind of stuff, but what I also hope for you during this time is that as you go about doing everything that has to be done, you'll not only take some time to celebrate the birth of our Lord and all he has accomplished as he walked among us as one of us, but most importantly during this season, I hope you get the reason why God did all of that or the reason why Christmas happened in the first place was because of you. Was because of you. And for me, what that shows is just how incredible our God really is, just how much our God wants to live in relationship with us, just how much our God cares.
Again, get that. And your life will never be the same again. You are the reason for the season. Let us pray. Father, as we begin this sermon series, uh, it is my hope and my prayer that, that as we delve into who you are and the reason why you came into the world is not only will we remember who you were and all the things that you did as you came into the world to walk among us as this little baby boy, but that we'll start to see that it's even bigger and more beautiful than that. Because of the reason you did all of that, the reason you rolled up your sleeves and decided to get your hands dirty, it's because of us. You came chasing after us. And what you want most is relationship with us. So Lord, help us to see this clearly, not just in our minds, but to feel it with our, our being, our heart, so we can know just how important the event of Christmas really is for our lives. It's in your name and for our sake that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.